1: you <laughs>
2: Hello there and welcome to the AFA podcast, the official podcast of animationforadults.com. This week we are going to be talking about Satoshi Kon's film, Perfect Blue, which recently got a special Fathom event screening via Kids and Fathom events, um, obviously, um, and we will be talking about that later. And when I say we, I mean me, I'm Chris, and I'm joined by Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello. How's it going?
3: Oh, grand, grand. Thanks.
2: (laughs) And Nina. Hi, Nina. Hey. How are you today? I'm doing great. Awesome. So we will be talking about Perfect Blue for our main discussion. But before that, we will delve into some other animation stories. And there is a very big one that broke this week about one of our very favorite animation studios, Cartoon Saloon who are working on the new film from director Tom Moore called Wolfwalkers that we've talked about on this show quite a bit. Ever since we heard about it, it sounds very exciting. Well, we've just found out that it has been acquired by Apple. As in the people who make the phones and that. Yeah, <laughs> you know those guys. Um, they've acquired, we don't exactly know the, the whole, if they've got like the exclusive rights or just the um, it's, it's very much like we've just heard that they have bought it, but we don't know exactly if they've got just the, like the streaming rights or what, because Apple are basically going to be launching their own video service that we don't, no one knows what it's going to be yet. Uh, They've announced titles that are going to be on it. We know that um, Laura and Bouchard, who makes, um, who created Bob's Burgers, is making an animated series for it. We know that Steven Spielberg's doing a like a new version of his Amazing Stories series for it, hmm. and we we know M Night Shyamalan is doing a, I I don't know if it's a film or a series for it, but no one knows how these are going to be released. Whether they're going to do like their own streaming platform, whether they're just going to be released via like itunes store or whether there's going to be something different um so no one knows how we're going to be able to watch wolf walkers and obviously the concern is that people might not be able to see it in the cinema or buy a blu-ray or dvd when it comes out but you have to bear in mind that basically all the different companies have got different strategies in how they do things because like amazon when they bought rights to things, they have released them theatrically first, and then they go to Amazon Prime Video. But Netflix tend to sort of just put things straight on their service.
3: They do. Netflix do sometimes in the states have very, and also in the UK through like Curzon. Sometimes yeah. they sometimes have very very limited releases.
2: I, often, I think like qualif- like. Awards qualifying runs, <laughs> or something like that.
3: Poly- uh, yeah, yeah.
2: And mm-hmm. I know, I know. Li- the little prince did eventually get some uh, US cinema re- releases I think when it came out, in because it was, it was dumped from cinemas and then bought by uh, by Netflix, and then they released it in a small number of cinemas. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I have a theory that. Apple wants to be the first, like, tech company to get an Oscar.
3: <laughs> oh. right. None
2: that's of, th- okay. None of the other co- you know, Netflix haven't got a best picture yet. Amazon haven't got a best picture yet. Apple want to be, like, uh, we're the best. We've got a best. We've got an award. But obviously getting the best picture is big, big uh, first step. But I reckon they think maybe ha, huh, maybe we could aim for the best animated feature. And so right. where would be a better you know, a, a more reliable bet, because they can't buy a Pixar film. Yeah, they can't or, buy Disney. Yeah. Uh well maybe they could, I don't know. Who's richer? It's I not don't know close. at this point. Disney's very rich. Yeah. Um so if you choose a studio that's had three Oscar nominations on the bounce. It's quite a good bet, I would say. And if they do do, if they are doing that, then obviously there would have to be at least some cinema release to qualify to be nominated. And they might even do like a a festival run to try and, um, try and build up word of mouth and, and critical acclaim and stuff. This is obviously just my theory. But well, that's what I reckon, possibly. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And we don't also like um the other thing is we don't know what other companies are involved. Like, for example, G Kids were a co producer on The Breadwinner. So it's possible they could they could have some sort of stake in Wolfwalkers mm-hmm. at this point and they might be able to like do say a Fathom event screening or something of it. So you might get to see it in the cinemas before it ter- turns up and whatever.
3: Yeah, it seems like that's th- that's the model that's yeah, like Amazon does. And it seems yeah. to do them well. And they've come close to having awards as well, right, Amazon? Yeah, I think... Um... Oh, no, in actual fact, The Big Sick won the screenplay. Oh, yeah, that's right, it? it
0: did. It did, it did, it did. So it
2: wouldn't be quite the first big tech companies to get one then but to get like a best picture or best animated feature would still be a big big uh, yeah, big
3: yeah. get for them Apple have yeah. a lot of catching up to do though when it comes to um yeah like actual content this mm. is the thing is that Netflix by now Netflix was smart enough to start off with a catalogue that yeah. wasn't theirs that they bought or I guess hired to stream mm. and then they started creating their own things and now, you know, those it seems like their it seems like their sneaky goal is to have mostly Netflix stuff and less uh stuff that they haven't produced, right?
2: Yeah, well they they don't need to pay anyone else for it that and it's not gonna expire. So yeah. Like, yeah. It's more in their interest to have more original stuff. And so
3: you went so anywhere else. The only thing I can imagine then is Apple possibly doing something like they have with music, but with movies, mm-hmm. where it's a subscription to a considerable library. Yeah. And then they have some of their own content as well. Because mm-hmm. it seems like, I mean, just the thing that's getting like to a tipping point, it seems, with all of these like streaming services is everything's so bloody fractured. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And people
3: are not going to put up with it for much longer. I'm already, yeah, I've, it's, re- it's I've awesome. already gone back through my, um, like Amazon channels and things and culled a load of things, which I'm just like, I'm not going to pay like five or a month for the privilege of just watching horror films, which I'm mm-hmm. only going to watch three a month. You know, it's, it's not viable.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's too expensive. You pay $5 here, $6 here, $7 there, $10 there, just so you can have access to watch all the things. Whereas like with television, it used to be you paid for a TV package and then you got access to all of these channels regardless, which I don't know. I feel like we're going to have to move back to some kind of internet streaming package service for it to be sustainable because it's just just two things, you know? So yeah. Separate prices to pay just to watch one show or two shows you want to watch.
2: Yeah, I guess like in America, you get kind of that with Verve. There's a bunch of different services all together. Like, yeah,
0: and I think Verve is a good model, but mm. I think there needs to be more things like it, or it needs to have more. You know, even if it's like twenty dollars a month, it would be worth it mm. to have everything yeah. in one place.
2: Because you're gonna have the, you're gonna have the Disney streaming service, and then. There's the DC one. And, uh, Fuck off. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there,
0: there's one? What? Well, <laughs> DC's going to have one?
2: Yeah, DC Universe, where you can watch the, the gritty Teen Titans remake, where they say, F Batman.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I can't even keep track. And then there were so many streaming services that, like, already, like, came and went. Mm. And, like fell through and now they're like somewhere else and like I don't even know there's <laughs> too many yeah they've
3: got to sort themselves out anyway it's it's good that more people are going to get to see Warfare, basically.
2: well, yes, we hope so because uh, potentially this could be you know make it seen much more widely than if it just got a limited cinema release or whatever but yeah. as long as it we hope that that is an option as well and also I would hope that someone maybe not apple themselves but someone will be able to release it on disc as well because i want i want it to be on my collect, on my shelf next to my copy of song of the sea and
3: yeah to- and and also and also if like the thing is is that i mean just just uh as a matter of fact blu-rays are still better quality than most of the files yeah. provided by streaming services
0: yep If you're a real cinephile, that's what you want to get.
3: I'm quite shocked sometimes by the dip in quality from like, uh, yeah, a Blu-ray to like an Amazon, uh, a movie rented through Amazon. It's, they, they just kind of don't care. They care mostly about it streaming fast and it being a low file size, but not, yeah, the actual quality of the film.
0: And it's just nice knowing that you can just pop in a movie and watch it uninterrupted without having, like, your internet <laughs> slow down or having it yeah. buffer. You know, you can get your remote out and, like, look, like, frame by frame at certain stuff if you want. Like, it's just a better viewing experience. Hopefully they know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, it's worth bearing in mind you can you can buy, like... Um, Orange is the new black at House of Cards on Blu-ray. They did release, and it's. I think it's like the company, not by Netflix. It, I saw House of Cards
3: recently yeah. <laughs> in a in a like a in, bargain yeah, bin yeah, in the video store, and it was really cheap. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and they yeah. had
3: loads. He, it was so it it was it, it, it was
2: it was in a bargain bin next to all the Louis C.K. DVDs and. Uh, and <laughs> It's, it's the big bit of bastards. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the
0: big bit of bastards. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> that sounds too lovely for what it is.
0: <laughs> Honestly,
2: yeah. Okay, so good news for Cartoon Saloon. <laughs> um, we just hope we can see the film when it comes out. Because otherwise, that would be very disappointing. Because we've been waiting for this for a long time. Right, so other news stories. Um, we wanted to give a shout out to a very cool Kickstarter campaign for the second issue of a independent animation magazine called Marimo. That is a it's an international independent magazine. Uh the first issue was actually bilingual, because uh, it was it was um the the lady who started it is comes from Paris. Um so it was um I think it was, uh, like, it was done in Paris and Brighton in the UK, um, like the two, two offices as it were. Um, and they, it's a really beautiful magazine. Like, it's got, uh, lots of articles on animation, but also got lots of original artwork, specially commissioned from really talented artists. And the first issue, they just funded themselves and, uh, you can get it, uh, from various independent stockists, uh, Around the world, including I think in the Nucleus Gallery in uh, LA, as well as in some locations in the UK and, <laughs> and France. Um, and they are doing a Kickstarter campaign to fund the second issue, which is going to be um, on the topic of Phantasmagoria. Is that how you say it? Because <laughs> uh, so. um, uh, each issue is um, themed on something and they. Included articles will include articles on Leica, Phantom Boy, which is the French animated film, uh, The Adams Family, Ray Harryhausen and more. And they are looking to raise €10,000, um, which will go towards print costs and paying contributors. And if they exceed the base goal, one of the stretch goals is to produce it as bilingual again and translate all the articles into French. Um 12 euros will net you a print copy of the magazine uh if you pay 22 euros you can get issue you can get copies of both issues or if you just want the digital one it's five euros and other rewards include pins postcards tote bags and more and uh, this is a very cool looking project and uh you can find out how to back it if you find the link in the show notes and check it out
0: yeah it looks really cool i hadn't heard about it but it's not that up. it's pretty affordable, honestly. That's twenty two mm-hmm. euros is about uh, twenty five US dollars. So mm-hmm. for two magazines, that's really good price, and it looks like really high quality. Like all the pictures, looks like it's mostly pictures.
2: Yeah, I I was uh, lucky enough to see like a uh, like a digital copy. I don't know if it was actually a full copy or it was like a proof of concept thing of the first issue, and it is just looking. Looking at the digital version, it is absolutely gorgeous. And it's just like, imagine holding this in your hand. It'd be lovely.
0: Yeah, I, I want it. Mm. I might get it.
2: <laughs> so this campaign runs until October 15th. Dan, have you taken a look?
3: I have. Yeah, it looks gorgeous. It's really nice to see, yeah, just like a beautifully designed magazine.
2: Yeah, it's sort of half yeah. book, half magazine, half art book sort of thing,
3: which is very good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah,
0: There's something some novel about a magazine now
3: where it's like, mm. ooh, a magazine. <laughs> like... it's, it, is, yeah, it seems like it's come back round to the craft, to, to like respecting it as a craft. Its mm-hmm. own. and Yeah, with it, yeah, you know, people taking a lot of care into the object itself, which is, which is exciting.
2: Yeah, very cool. So as I said, find the link in the show notes. Okay, and... Um, we also got a couple of new trailers for new things coming to Netflix. First up is the teaser trailer for the upcoming She-Ra reboot. And it oh. is it is very much a teaser.
0: Yeah, but very much.
2: It's very short, but you do get to see it in motion and like what the
0: main character looks like
2: and everything. Nina, what do you think?
0: I'm excited. Um, you know, She-Ra, is <laughs> one of those shows that like when my mom first moved to this, uh, to the United States, since she was babysitting my cousin, like she had to watch she and all those 80s cartoons. So for whatever reason, Shira was one of those shows that stuck with her and she would always quote it. <laughs> Even though like I didn't know what she was as a kid because it was a little bit before my time but mm-hmm. I actually like had some of the action figures from my cousin. And like, it's one of the, like the only shows from that era that like, I actually have any kind of relationship to. So like, I'm very excited about this reboot. Like, cause I always thought Shira was kind of a neat idea. I like, I love, um, Noelle Stevenson. Her work is amazing. I actually got to see her talk a little bit about Shira at, um, uh, flame con in New York city, a couple weeks back. Um, and she was amazing. And the show just sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited. Like, I mean, I, it's really hard to gauge from this little opening. Like, we have this fun little magical girl sequence. It's uh, so Sailor Moon. <laughs> yeah, it's 100% Sailor Moon. Um, like, I, I feel like that's kind of what Noelle is going to do with this, is just make Shira like, this cool magical girl. I really love Adora's outfit when she's not She-Ra too like she looks so like yeah. classy and so strong like I'm like oh my goodness um, yeah I just think it's going to be fun and I like She-Ra's new design <laughs> I'll say that yep yeah, and
2: I've taken the executive decision that in any article on She-Ra I have not mentioned anything to do with the supposed backlash from a charming gentleman who believe it's not sexy enough this children's <laughs> cartoon. And I will say no more than that.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it deserves attention, no, really, that's, honestly anymore.
2: That's the you best are. way of dealing with it, I would say. Um yeah, this
0: is coming out in November. Cool. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna watch it with my mom
3: for Yay. Thanksgiving.
0: It's gonna be great. <laughs> I'll let you guys know.
2: And it it's coming it's like it's good timing because it's coming along sort of as Vulture and Legendary Defender is, is wrapping up, so it's like Passing the torch to the next '80s revival, and it seems to be sim- uh, a similar high quality, shall we say, um, from what we've seen. Yeah,
3: I, that's that's the cool thing for me about this is I, I have no. Um, Nina's story is actually very sweet and everything, <laughs> but I thought like I I have no um, reverence at all for any of those, filmation shows like He Man or Thundercats. Like I think the remakes can only be a good thing because the shows in themselves were such cheap, yeah, cynical little things. Uh, very, very you can mechanics. pretty much, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> very much, yeah, objects of uh, uh, products of their time, and yeah, it, uh, remaking them can only be a good thing.
2: Having said that. The the, uh, He-Man, She-Ra Christmas special is a thing of beauty.
0: Yeah, I... The He-Man, She-Ra shows are so ridiculous, but there's something so earnest about the ridiculousness um, that it's hard not to love them in their own weird way. I mean, they're not very well-made at all, but, like, I don't know. I imagine the team who made these shows were very small, Mm. and they had very tight budgets and very tight timeframes, so...
3: Oh no 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 question. Yeah. It's yeah. it's cool though that like rather than those shows being made uh just to sell toys essentially. Um, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons were just long ads for the toys.
0: Yeah, basically. It's
3: cool that these new shows are actually first and foremost the product is the show. Yeah. And they are being creator driven and I'm sure Noel Stevenson is going to bring something 10 times more interesting than anything that ever occurred on those, you know, cheaply, quickly made
0: shows. (laughs) 100%. Yeah, I think the only thing from that era of animation that is maybe actually worth anything is the opening to Thundercats. Mm -hmm. That's actually very well animated. It's surprisingly well animated compared
3: to... Yeah, the opening is always promised so much more than they actually ever delivered yeah, and you in actually the shows
0: show and it's just like oh god yeah how could anybody watch this for hours every day like it's too much but the toys are pretty cool <laughs> but,
3: they did a number on you Nina.
0: <laughs> i don't know i just they were really neat little toys and but i didn't like the show even as a kid like i remember trying to watch and be like this is very dumb but this is, does not look dumb. And that is exciting.
2: That is very cool. Yeah. November 16th, 2018 on Netflix, everywhere that Netflix Yay. is, that is. So basically everywhere except like China and uh, North Korea. And
3: uh, <laughs> Yeah. Kim Jong-un's <laughs> not going to be watching this and, on uh, the he, toilet. Maybe he will. On be, his iPad. His
2: people can't be. He, he, yeah, he might. Been, oh, yeah, maybe uh,
3: that's true. Oh, that's yeah. that's a sad thought.
2: Yeah, um, and also the other really cool Netflix trailer we got was for a show called Hilda. Which
0: that's so sweet.
2: Uh, which is based on an acclaimed graphic novel by Luke Pearson, and it has already like a couple of debut episodes have screened at New York. New York Children's International Film Festival this year and it's also it was um shown off at Annecy and so it's been building up quite a reputation and they released the first trailer and it looks yeah very cute. Um so cute. It looks awesome. It's produced by Mercury Image Works and Silvergate me- Media and uh, it's I in my article i described it as kind of like it's almost got a vibe of a sort of european spin on an adventure time sort of thing
0: maybe or maybe even more like european gravity falls
2: oh that might be more yeah um it's about a a little girl who moves to somewhere called trollville or Trollburg, sorry trollberg um and there's lots of like mythical creatures and stuff and just the trailer is like full of like really lovely imagery and uh magical things and it looks and it's um it's beautifully
3: made mm-hmm. and it looks like the comics as well i've never actually read the comics but i've seen them everywhere in like comic shops and, mm-hmm. you know in uh, the kids section and bookstores and they seem very popular and they look gorgeous and this just looks like those comics You've got a bit...
0: style. it's so mm. soft and friendly looking but like kind of It's not very loud and in your face. I mean, it's very colorful and inviting, but everything's kind of toned down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's just, I just really, really like it. But everything's very round, very friendly looking. (laughs) And it has a very consistent color palette too, which is kind
2: of... Yeah. And And it's got trolls in it, which is cool. And all kinds of thing, weird things. Yeah, and uh, and a uh, oh, there's also a bit of a sort of Ghibli vibe as well, a little bit. Oh, definitely. And yeah. and yeah. Moomins, Moomins as well. Yeah. Moomins feels like one of the biggest
3: influences to me, yeah. but it's this, it's this very, very lovely cocktail of it all. It doesn't feel like a mishmash. Sometimes things can feel like a bit of a mishmash of influences, but this feels like a very like much its own thing kind of
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah I love the, no, little I, I...
0: <laughs> the little wood man person i don't know what the yeah. character's name but they're so cute <laughs> i don't know i'm very and, excited
2: yeah now now i now i've got into my head that it's it's moving style I, that's that is totally what it is <laughs> um but interestingly they um when they were talking about it at Annecy, they were they were saying that uh, it's they're planning to push some boundaries for what's considered uh, acceptable in a kids show, aiming to be more emotional and even scary at times, which is interesting. So it's not Good. just it's not just going to be all happy, happy, joy, joy. It's going to be a bit, yeah, go just right. a little bit edgy, but not not in a way that you know. <laughs> Not in an adult
3: way, just
2: in a in a, in a way it's acceptable to scare children, like Harry Potter and.
1: Oh and yeah, it, it seems it's like it, the
3: way. yeah, it seems like the books are aimed at like maybe seven to eight upwards, yeah, up to like 13 year olds really.
2: Yeah, it's just it's just insane all this stuff that Netflix are bringing on animation wise.
0: <laughs> I know, I can't believe it's coming out so soon. Yeah, and with a really good
3: studio as well. Like, actually do amazing work.
2: September 21st, 2018, the first 13 episodes. Or, I don't know, perhaps it might even be a one-season
3: thing. I'm not sure. Sure. That's next Friday, as we record this.
2: Awesome. Yeah, and this is, like, the just this weekend, new BoJack Horseman Series 5, new Dragon Prince. It's, like, everything. (laughs) And then October, more Mm -hmm. Castlevania. And oh uh, it's just yeah, they are completely going on, all, firing on all cylinders on animation.
0: Yeah, it's, they're really coming through with that promise too.
3: And that must be because it's popular as well. There's no way they would make all these no, shows, yeah. you know, if they did, if the proof wasn't in the pudding. And yeah, that's that's exciting.
2: Yeah, stuff like Shiro has obviously being like ordered on the basis of the success of. Voltron and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if this does well, then, you know, we might get more stuff like this, which would be very cool.
0: Yeah. This is, seems like, I mean, I bet I would adore this show as a kid. Mm. I haven't even seen it. Yet. Yeah. Definitely.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that wraps us up for news for today
1: wilderness there's mystery everywhere you look come on twig let's get my sketchbook done time to go
2: Hilda, we have to move to trollberg please mum we've been here since i was born it's literally the best place ever hello i bet we wouldn't have neighbors like this in trollberg
3: it's drafty in here you should really close that door Mm.
2: Just keep an open mind. You might find the city more fun than you think. It still can't match the wilderness for
1: interesting creatures. Oh, no. I'm Hilda. I just
3: moved here. Want to be friends? We are Sparrow Scouts! friendly and helpful to all!
1: Big
2: world out there. There's so much we've never seen. So much we don't know.
0: Such is the life of an adventurer.
2: Okay, so let's talk about Perfect Blue, which was recently screened in cinemas in the US via G Kids and Fabra Events and was screened in the uk last year um via um anime limited and is also available on blu-ray and dvd in the uk and i think it's actually getting another um like re-release as well coming up
3: i think it is i think it's getting a re-release with a storyboard
2: Uh, yeah i think it is it a steel booklet. book, or at least it's a special edition? Yeah. Of some yeah, sort?
3: I'm, I'm going to absolutely jump on that, because one of my most prized possessions is my uh, uh, Tokyo Godfather's um, DVD box set with the storyboard.
0: Uh, my Tokyo Godfather's DVD is very plain. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I think they're releasing a new version because this was the anniversary Except Uh, it really wasn't at all.
2: It's like (laughs) I I looked. I assumed this would be when it was released in the US, and I looked it up. The film came out in 1997 in Japan. It was released in America in 1999 because you know it used to take a while for thing for Mm. anime to make its way over. It didn't. It's not like now when it's. I see
0: here that it was released at a festival in 1997 and had a wide release in 1998 uh,
3: so okay yeah
0: that is confusing
3: i agree <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is a film which had like a big festival life yeah so it's hard to say probably when the release was
2: but is if it's an excuse to watch the film and talk about it again i'm not going to complain no so, yeah yeah
0: wasn't this a remastered version of it too like didn't they like
2: I think so. Clean
0: it up a little bit, because it looked amazing.
2: Oh, yeah, I was wondering about that, because the, um, the Blu-ray that is currently available in the UK is not... I don't think it's remastered.
3: Uh, it's... Yeah. I think his films have a, have a slightly unfortunate fate when it comes to that. Uh, mm. Yeah. I don't know why it is, but it's... I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely the film which I think probably suffers... Maybe the most as like a bad transfer. You can just about look through it because it's right.
0: Yeah, it is the oldest of his films. It was his first feature film. It was his directorial debut. Yeah. Feature director. And holy heck, what a (laughs) strong debut.
3: Who Um, wants some context on who Satoshi Khan is?
0: Yes. I'd love some, and all the
3: rest of it or, i mean yeah. i know
0: so, but i'd love to your take
3: uh my take is i mean like he's one of my favorite directors ever yeah and it's such a tragedy that uh, i think about 10 years ago is yeah right? it's, uh eight eight years, ago,
0: eight, years ago. eight years ago yeah yeah um uh, august 24th he, was the anniversary of his death
3: he, yeah, he he passed away, taken, yeah, way, way too soon, tragically, by illness, and uh, halfway through the production of his, you know, what was to be his last film, uh, which is stuck in production hell, because uh, they didn't have enough money to finish it. And there is a bunch of unfinished animations somewhere, oh. and a bunch of uh, notes, and Uh, directors uh, actually one of the uh, one of the animators who was working on the film uh, visited my university when uh, it was still uncertain whether it was going to be able to be finished Um, because uh, uh, she was an alumnus and she actually passed around like a storyboard um, this film looked, like, amazing. It was going to yeah. be, like, a kind of uh, sci-fi sort of... I don't really know what it was, but there were lots of robots, and it looked yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, little robots. Um, I it also was going to be called that... Dreaming Machine. Um, sorry, Nina? Yeah?
0: Sorry, my bad. Um, I also read that part of why it's still in, in production hell right now is that the producer... Uh, Masao Maruyama said that they just don't really know what to do because if they gave it over to another director it wouldn't be a Cone film and they like they kind of don't want to have somebody else put their touch on it like they don't want to compromise that they just want it to be what it is or what it was supposed to be.
3: Yeah it would be nice if like maybe in the same style as the uh, Thief and the Cobbler perhaps They could make a version which is presented as unfinished. And, I mean, because the storyboards I think are done. Uh, So the animatic exists. And Satoshi Kon is known for having the most detailed storyboards in animation ever. Um, His storyboards were essentially used as rough layouts for the animators. The compositions were so accurate. Uh, So I... I'm tempted to, you know, it, I I think that you could uh, probably release the animatic of this thing anyway. When he, when he was alive, he was making he he made a, a big impact. I think maybe mostly overseas. Yeah, um,
2: I think so. You know,
3: more so than in Japan. Um, as this director who, um, you know, relevant to our interests, pushed animation as. A cinema art form,
1: mm-hmm.
3: something that could tell quite mature stories like uh, Perfect Blue. Um, so, yeah, uh, as said, you said, know, Nina, he was, it was his feature directorial debut. He previously had like made a name for himself as well um, as a manga artist, um, authoring comics, so like writing and drawing them. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very influenced by uh, Otomo and Akira. Um,
0: yeah, he worked directly with Otomo on Akira, and a lot oh, on the movie. No, he worked on the manga. He was an assistant oh, artist for that. Otomo for a long really?
3: time. Yeah. Okay, well, that that makes a lot of sense because he has like a similar style where the proportions are very accurate, and there's a kind of realism to how things are drawn oh that makes a lot of sense now mm-hmm. he also i think he also wrote one of the short films in the uh compilation film memories was it magnetic Rose? Yes. yes he yeah, wrote magnetic I think he Rose. Did he, he didn't it actually i don't think well, he directed it but well, he wrote it that's
0: what it says um, here but okay
3: Okay, I was reading. I only said it because I was reading an interview earlier where he said that he didn't direct it, but he oh, wrote okay. it and he felt like it was interpreted slightly differently. Maybe the translation was a bit off and he possibly storyboarded it, which could maybe push it into saying he directed it.
0: Maybe. Maybe the. Uh... Who knows? Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's. You're right. Like part of this article says that it did, and then part of it says that he didn't. So it's inconsistent okay. in the way that it's Okay. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, sorry Juicy. about that.
3: Juicy. So that was in '95. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was in '95, and he he transitioned, yeah, from making comics to animation, and um, he did so. I think he was saying because he just felt that it was a natural progression. Comics dealt with staging and settings, and characters, and drama, and movies pretty much only added. The elements of time and sound, so he felt quite comfortable making the ch- the transition. Apparently, Um he had worked on like JoJo's Bizarre Adventures as well.
2: Yeah, just see yeah. that. I'm looking up his before mm-hmm. it's Like, what he directed some episodes of the JoJo Bizarre Adventure uh, OVA. I guess that was, wasn't it? About the mm-hmm. 90s one. The original
1: yeah, so, OVA,
3: yeah. An OVA. Uh, which is relevant, I think, to this from we 're discussing today is like an I think it sounds for original video animation, yes, 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 yeah. basically, in the days before the internet and all the rest of it, um, anime movies and series had like a big market on video, and the purpose of these were they were not actually low budget necessarily
0: no sometimes they had really high budgets
3: um but they were like straight to video releases that didn't have to be uh that 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 um that dodged the expense of a cinema release and also dodged any censorship that would happen on tv Was so they, they were tend... quite often
2: shown in cinemas apparently like oh really often like you might get like it's part of a program, and
3: that's how oh, I see.
2: That you sort of get that even more now. Like things like the Ghost in the Shell the Rise, you get like a a movie series that gets like initially shown in cinema and then released as like videos or whatever,
0: yeah. like I mean, hour long mm-hmm.
2: episodes or something. It's
3: weird.
0: It is weird. Like the OVA production culture in japan i don't really think exists mm. anymore the way that it used not to not
3: in the same way
0: i feel like no. a big what i read a big part of what made ova's work in japan was the laser disc mm-hmm. apparently that's where most of them were released was on laser disc because i guess it had like a higher quality or something and it, because I it think was they
2: this... were cheaper than vhs in japan i think they was like videos were so expensive i think vhs was either cheaper or
3: there was hardly any difference
0: yeah whereas yeah. like i know i'm
3: tempted US- to like, say as well very expensive they're expensive but they were also expensive because they they catered to like the they had like very high quality picture and sound mm-hmm. they were they were technologically superior to yeah uh yeah to videos to vhs's yeah mm-hmm Um, So Perfect Blue itself was actually originally like a kind of pulpy light novel. Um, And they were going to adapt it into a live action film. And then at a certain point in the development process, someone suggested making it an animation. And that was when Satoshi Kon got involved. Um, He apparently never read the source material. Um, He read like a script and he didn't like it very much, and he, uh, you know, quite boldly said, "Look, I'll. Um, if you want to stick with this, I don't want to direct the film. But if you let me make changes, then I'll do it." And because he had already established himself as, you know, capable of writing and uh, authoring works uh, like in in comics, they let him do it, and uh, they accepted it. And they wanted to keep three main elements from the story. Idol, horror, and stalker. And so long as his film essentially had these themes, he could do whatever he wanted.
1: Cool.
0: Yeah, that's...
3: So that's yeah. basically how he came to uh, direct the film, as as it is. And I think it was during production that they realised it was... Better than an OVA release, and it was changed from a, 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 a you know a straight-to-video release to a cinema, and from there it also went like to international festivals, which was, I mean, frankly, it was like it seems like that was the making of Kong mm-hmm. as yeah. a, as a serious director who was then asked to return to uh, direct a, another animated feature because it did so well overseas.
2: I think Fan- Fantasia Fest like, in Montreal was a big, big supporter of his because that's where it got its North American premiere, like the year it came out. And also they now have a, their animation award for best feature. It's called the Satoshi Kon Award. So I think they have a, you know, they had a relationship with him and really pushed his work throughout his career.
0: Yeah, and apparently Otomo also helped with, with his, his international connections, also helped with the screening and the various film festivals as well.
2: I think when Perfect Blue was first released, I think they sort of suggested that more of a link with Otomo when it came out in the UK at least. they were like, oh, this is a new film from the creator of Akira, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think he had like a, he might have had like a really Small role like a consultant or something, and they were just like, "Ah, oh, for the creator of the curas? They would, <laughs> and also, I think they had a quote from James Cameron as well something like, This would be the film Alfred Hitchcock would make if Disney would let him, or something like that. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's yeah, like, yeah, those sorts of comments like smack of the 90s, yeah, excitement around anime basically yeah they've, they, they've always got to include Disney like you can't yeah. explain what animation is without saying Disney
2: yeah they did the yeah. same film Ghost in the Shell I think they had the James Cameron quote something
0: <laughs> oh yeah for sure and like yeah it was such a impactful film like at the time like it was it was very different like I mean I guess I understand trying to lean onto the Akita thing because it was like very mature you know mm-hmm. like this idea of a mature anime film um was still kind of like a newish newish concept mm-hmm. um especially one that wasn't like super sleazy even though yeah
3: it's one- not tit- it's, it's goal isn't to titillate
0: no it's which is kind of what sleazy.
3: sets it apart
0: but it's not a sleazy film or anything
3: that's interesting. I think it maybe is. and I was very interested today. like I read a few interviews with Khan, and um, uh, there was an interview he did that was kind of like a lecture, I guess, uh, mm. about 10 years after the film's release. Um, is that possible? Maybe: <laughs> A few years after the film's release. Anyway. it' um, would be
2: in 2007 it would be.
3: Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. yes. That, that is. That. He was still so, alive. I'm not good at counting. I don't think do that. <laughs> it's okay. He um, was still healthy then,
0: too. Yeah. That's the crazy
3: thing. Yeah. Um, so he was like presenting the film and kind of like doing a lecture through it, like a like his own film school on his own film kind of thing. Oh,
0: That um, sounds
3: so cool. I think it's. I think it's as an extra on one of the DVDs. Um, of which there are many releases of this film. Anyway. Uh, and the scene came up with uh, probably, let's just say, the hardest to watch scene in the film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes. Which is uh, not bloody, but violent in another way. And mm-hmm. uh, he seemed embarrassed when the scene came up. And he mentioned that he thinks he felt like he went too far with it, and that there was probably a slightly um more toned down or suggestive way he could have gotten the same point across
1: hmm. uh
3: and I found that interesting because I think it's particularly when you look at his finished works, it's the most extreme of all of his films that he
0: made mm. it, yeah for sure and, and rather than. Way.
3: Yeah, and rather than him kind of ramping up as he continued his career, th- it seems like everything from this point on was about holding back and admitting things. And he is fascinated with editing. Oh, and yeah. he uses editing in his later films, like particularly something like Tokyo Godfathers. There's a lot of like very brilliantly suggested violence through uh imagery which has like the same effects like you know um there's a scene where there's a there's a knife which is dripping blood and rather than show the complete carnage (laughs) that the knife has caused it cuts to a dripping pipe and it's kind of he he just became in all ways a bit more of a suggestive filmmaker by the
0: end i feel right like he there's actually a scene like that in perfect blue that i I think it's like one of my favorite cuts of the film where towards the end of the movie, when the main character, she's being like the, the stalker like grabs her hair and then it immediately cuts to another character slamming a car trunk down.
1: Oh, I thought that yeah. was a
0: really amazing cut because it just completely it like creates this entire image, even mm-hmm. though like it doesn't actually happen. But like you, you can put the pieces together and be like, oh, maybe that's what happened. So he definitely had signs of that from the beginning. But I agree, this film definitely just kind of puts the most of it out on the table, and that might be a result of just the time of anime at this time was a little bit more intense, or maybe because he was a young filmmaker and he felt like he wanted to be very extreme and very edgy, you know. From
3: that's this- possible. I feel like it's also, yeah, a case of him answering the brief of being told this is a, like, you know, this is uh, an original video animation, so X, Y, Z, you know, like, meet those demands. And I think that probably did push him for it to be slightly more violent than he would end up making his later films.
0: Yeah, like his later films are a little bit more, I guess, clever about how they present violence
3: sure um, i mean also i I think it's probably the subject matter of this film is probably hard to avoid being too violent as well yeah it's this, it's stalker it's a, it's a stalker film and it,
0: yeah i mean it, it's yeah. a psychological horror movie about stalkers and murders mm-hmm. and all this you know it's, the, it's very intense um. But even in the beginning, it, the, the, with this film being his first film, it, it kind of touches more on his fascination with, like, reality versus um, fabrication and fantasy and how film itself, as a medium, as a cultural force, is very responsible for creating this kind of hyper-reality that we all live in, um, mm. which is something that all, every single film he or every single thing he's ever done really kind of deals with like, it's interesting that he didn't start out as a filmmaker because he seems to be very fascinated by film and what film is and what it does and and the effect that it has on people beyond just like creating a fun movie experience. Um, Like how it affects our identity, how it affects our relationships with people Um, and this film definitely some of the stronger aspects I would say of this film is when he's really exploring film as a medium and the uncanniness of it and like how strange it is, you know, how it's, it's inherently a strange thing that we all accept as normal. Um, you know, we're, we're yeah,
3: it's definitely it. something which uh, can be highlighted by using animation, by, by actually drawing a film set it makes you examine it makes you examine it in a way that you probably wouldn't if it was just a film about another film being made you've seen that so much it's almost like we've we've talked about this so much before with it's the same thing that takahata says about depicting reality in animation it it, it kind of heightens everything uh to the point where you're questioning why something is being shown because it seems a lot more purposeful than, than film, which, you mm-hmm. know, live action film, which frankly can sometimes wash over you because it's, you know, it's, it, it's, um, it's everywhere. And we're so used to seeing film images and yeah, reinterpreting them through the lens of animation kind of, yeah, makes you pay attention a bit more.
0: Yeah. yeah. And like a lot of, criticisms at the time were sort of like why is this animation like it being animation almost makes it seem more hokey and harder to believe and like Cohn would always defend himself yeah. and be like i think you know i'm proud to be an animator and i think animation like this film is better as an animated film than if it wasn't um and i think that's you're exactly right dan like it's because it highlights these things in a way that if it was live action, we would just kind of accept it to be true more so. Um, Whereas when it's animation, you're like, oh yeah, this is being created from scratch, you know, to to replicate reality, but it isn't reality, you know?
3: Yeah, and it it automatically makes the audience think more in terms of ideas. I always think of the Roger Ebert review of Grave of the Fireflies, where he talks about how the film is so much more upsetting because it's not the image of a, you know, spoilers for Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> uh, they, they die. Um, it, he's talking, he, he talks about how the image of seeing the little girl starve and eventually die is mm, much more powerful and upsetting than seeing an actor depict those things. Because you, when you're dealing with, you know, withdrawn images uh, it's much closer to suggesting the idea. And he says the reason that it's something like Grave the Fireflies is so much more affecting than a live-action film is because you're facing people with the idea of a little girl dying rather than having them watch a filmed, you know, act of an act of- recreation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: And I like that you brought up ideas, Dan, because this movie is about turning people into ideas and how that's a harmful, scary thing. Um, The first five minutes of this movie is so brilliant. (laughs) Where you have Mm -hmm. the... um, Power Rangers. Yeah, Power Rangers. (laughs) And then you have all these weird fans talking about this idol group. And then we get to see so many different perspectives within such a short amount of time. We get to see the backstage of this performance what the the pop stars are like with like themselves and their managers and things we get to see what it's like on the stage we get to see what it's like in the audience watching the stage and then we get to see Mima's life completely off the stage where she's just running around getting milk and riding her bike and all of these relationships and all of like these tensions of the image and of performance are being played with each other because you have just the them performing, but then these different aspects of their humanity are being shown simultaneously. But then you're also seeing them through the eyes of the audience, particularly this one audience member who there's this amazing shot that like completely like encapsulates the entire kind of almost thesis of the film where the stalker character is in the audience And he holds up his hand right underneath Mima. She's performing and it's like she's dancing in his hand. Like he's literally objectifying her, making her into this object as like he can hold and possess. And all of this is communicated visually. There's no like narration. There's some dialogue, but there's no like explanation. We're just, we're being conveyed all this information about who these people are, what their relationships to each other are. And it's all just done through framing and editing and it's just so perfect because it tells you exactly what you're in for from the jump
3: it's a yeah it's a great uh setup i found some words content about the intro Mm
0: -hmm. and
3: he talks about how it's very purposeful um he he talks about he he, in in a way it's is interesting hearing him speak about his work because he's so much he's very analytical and everything is so purposeful he seems like someone who is less uh driven by uh instincts and um uh feeling than his films kind of being like an argument and yeah. he talks about he talks about the film almost like it's an essay and he says okay the intro is like this it's like saying i will write about this topic that's, and, exactly you know, that's what how you I
0: read it like that's, that's am- what
3: you write that's, that's and amazing. he says and he says like Okay, what I'm saying with the opening um, in his sort of like film lecture about his film, he says now a story about masks is about to begin, um, and he says it's important for you know for me who's making the movie to know that the the opening statement is this basically, and you can you can think about it on like your second or third viewing if you have to, but. Uh, yeah he he was talking about how for him the opening was very important to set up the idea of masks
0: yeah and it completely comes through I mean it tells you everything you need to know going Mm -hmm. forward and like the fact that it it really does re-like the thesis statement of of an essay like here are all the this is the main idea condensed in the simplest way I can condense it here's the title screen now let's get into it Um, and I thought that was just me with my more essay minded self projecting but that's really fascinating that he actually constructed it that way Um, Yeah, it's
3: interesting like to hear him because I had not actually uh, researched much of him like talking about this particular film like I'm much more familiar with him talking about paprika and uh, Tokyo Godfathers but he was talking about how he felt responsibility to be very 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 sure and certain about the purpose of everything in the film even to the extent where he he questioned every single time he showed uh he showed mima in a mirror or reflected exactly what he meant in that scene whether he was talking about her being real or not
0: yeah that's another thing that i really think is brilliant about this movie is it's very short actually Mm. it's only 80 minutes it's punchy, um, yeah. It's and it's so condensed and so tight, like it was so refreshing. You know, I I went to mm-hmm. see this at the Fathom event, and I think the movies it was started at seven, and then I got out at like eight thirty, and I was like riding the train home, and like, oh my gosh, I'm already done. Like, I'm so used to movies taking like almost three hours to be able to like. Were go you to- riding
3: the train home like looking at your own reflection as like, the city lights like, sort of like passed, <laughs> passed by? A little by?
0: um I kind of well i was very wet i had gotten completely soaked by the rain before i saw them that's
3: movie. so cinematic
0: yeah no it wasn't very cinematic being all sloshy in sitting in my theater and having to take off my my canvas uh,
3: shoes. <laughs> no wet wet trousers and shoes are the worst feeling she yeah. can have I think. but it,
0: it kind of helped because I was already physically uncomfortable so the film made me even more uncomfortable but like in a purposeful way so it, it kind of highlighted everything but yeah like the film it's, it's so short yeah it's and kind it of so refreshing to have everything I needed to say in just that small amount of time there was no waste of time I'm so used to movies taking so long that it was just nice to be like oh my god I had a full experience <laughs> and I still have time to go home and have dinner, you know. Before we
2: go any further, I think we sometimes forget to sort of say what a film's about. <laughs> <laughs> but And I Whoops. think, like, before we go into, like, spoilers or anything, we should just kind of, yeah, say what it's about. Um, it's about this, about, uh, well, she's an idol at the beginning, an idol singer in a, like, a trio who aren't that successful, uh, and the main character is Mima and, but she's wanting to make the transition into becoming an actress. And she gets like a, a gig in a, like a regular drama, a fairly smallest role and everything. And uh, basically some of her fans don't want her to, to, um, to make this transition. And you get, uh, there's a stalker and uh strange events keep happening and there are some people get close to her, uh, get attacked and it's it's kind of hard to talk about too much because you don't it it plays with what's real and what's not as we've suggested uh, and what is happening and what's on on screen and things like that and it's it like... might
3: be one of the only anime or animators films i can think of which you could seriously call a genre piece mhm mhm there aren't many other... I can't think of any right off the top of my head. Um, maybe um, oh, the Train to Busan sequel, possibly. You could uh, call a horror film.
2: Soul Station.
3: Soul Station, yeah. Um, but it's unique, it feels like, in that sense. And that's probably why it made such a big impact, is because mm. it wasn't... It was, it, was a, it was a genre... The genre came before animation. If you yeah. know what I mean. The genre wasn't animation for once. It was the genre was thriller. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he I think he calls it a psycho thriller.
2: That seems accurate, I would say. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so she's making this transition and one thing that's important to know is that Japanese pop idol culture is a little bit different than like like American pop stars or like other pop stars where or even like uk pop stars where like in japan pop stars they they have to maintain this like representation or or, or repu- reputation of innocence mm. in a way like a lot of times in their contracts they're not even allowed to date yeah and like this is in it's their much
3: pop. more yeah it's much more like like the I, th- I guess the only um analog i can really think of is like uh the old Hollywood studio system Mm. tried to control people's lives in a similar way. But it's bizarre that something exists like that in the modern world, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's been progression for sure. I mean, there's been eras where certain pop stars were like kind of rebel against this and come out as having like a boyfriend or whatever. And some represented you know some agency is a little bit more lenient about it than others but there's still this important like idea of like what a pop star is supposed to be and she's supposed to be kind of innocent and almost infantile mm. you know babyish and, and sweet and it's,
3: it's all about maintaining that image not just on the stage but also at events and in what is perceived to be her real life right
0: mm. yeah exactly and like she can't a lot of times have a more mature adult life or at least be open about it because that would ruin her, her idol image, which is why this transition for Mima is so jarring and why it's so, I guess, traumatic for some of her fans because it's like she really is as far as they're concerned, becoming this completely different person Mm. and breaking ties with this, this idea of herself that she's spent, I don't know how long, was she, did they say she was in this group for like six years or something like that? Um, you know, she's been in this little group for a while mm. and kind of stuck to the same way. And that's also why she wanted to leave because it was, she said it on the phone with her mom. Like it was suffocating. Like it's so much pressure. It was not a lot of freedom. She was getting older. You know, it's not like her group was doing that great. And she still wants to be a star, but she just wants to have a little bit more freedom of what she can do and what she can be. Or at least she thought that this would give her more freedom. Unfortunately, her agency could only get her roles on these kind of like really sleazy dramas, which the 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 show that she gets cast in, it's called Double Bind. It's almost like if CSI was made by HBO. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know this really typical crime drama but like unnecessarily like violent and sexual in a lot of ways and i'm not quite sure. that sounds sure.
3: like a lot of bbc dramas actually yeah. <laughs> they tend they tend to do that actually on sunday nights they tend to like have lots of bbc dramas which are on the surface police procedurals but are mm-hmm. unnecessarily violent.
0: but are there is there like nudity and things like yeah um, yeah, really? Sometimes.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah but some of them are pretty nasty. Mm.
0: Okay, because one thing that I confused me like, as an American is that the the content of Double Bind was not something that you can really even air on late night TV in the US. Like, you would need to have something like an HBO to air stuff like that. So, but okay, I guess, yeah, I guess it's just different in other places. But yeah, it's just like a late night show.
3: But it seems like a, yeah, it's a complete image change, mm. mm-hmm. like for her public image. So it's like going from being this kind of squeaky, clean, like pop star straight into, yeah, like a gritty show. Yeah. Well, not gritty, yeah. but like kind of sleazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like it's ma- seen as this more mature show, but it's not really very mature. It's just very exploitative almost in a way but it's what her agency could get her and like they kept trying to pressure the writers to give her more lines and then they are like okay let's give her this part and of course they give her this horrible part where it's this um this rape uh plot line basically and then that like from that moment on the film completely has a psychotic break. Like, she has her break, and then the rest of the film kind of ceases to go by in any kind of easy easy chronological order. Like, the sense of time gets broken. Like, from then on, things start to get really, really bad. But, like, in the meantime, you know, she's trying her best. She's actually a pretty good actress, all things considered. Um, I like that scene where she's practicing over and over and over again to to say the very simple line of like Who are you <laughs> <laughs> um, She has this agent who's she's who's she's very close with who'll sometimes like come home with her and like show her how to set up a computer, <laughs> which is a scene that doesn't age very well
2: no. but, yeah the um the technical things that that's the the weird thing is the Like the technical things are the only, in a way, the only things that show the age, like the the internet and the the faxing. She gets a death fax, um, (laughs) which obviously would be like a she'd be a tweet now, I guess. Um, But it's like really. It wouldn't be one
3: tweet though. It would be a barrage. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's based, but it 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 feels so relevant.
3: Otherwise, I mean, mean, this is actually more relevant. I feel like it's. Satoshi Kon was someone who was, uh, I think one of my favorite critics like of Satoshi Khan is uh, Tony Zhao, the guy who makes every frame of oh, painting. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. He absolutely gets Satoshi Khan and one of the things he said about him is that he is a filmmaker who makes stories about people in the 21st century, more or less, mm-hmm. even though this was made in... 1997, you could, or 98, you could easily, you know, it's arguable that it's basically the 21st century, the way she's living her life. Mm -hmm. And, um, actually, at the time of making the film, Satoshi Khan didn't have a home PC. And it was making the film that made him get one, strangely enough. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
3: I think, yeah, the film is like really ahead of its time. This weekend, I watched, um, the new season of, uh, American Vandal, which is like all about you know social media personas basically, and but this film is like way ahead of the curve on that stuff. It beats American Vandal or uh, the, uh, Black Mirror to that kind of idea that uh, anyone is gonna you know has has these potential personas. Uh, that they present to the world on the Uh, internet
0: and like it's more relevant now because the internet makes a celebrity out of us all Mm -hmm. whereas when this movie was made it really you did have to be somebody like mima you had to be an actress or a pop star or whatever but now anybody can be like mima you can just have a twitter account you know you don't have to be behind a camera
3: you do but also i mean like to do that you have to present a fake version of yourself like on instagram Mm -hmm. like that's the thing that people are tiring of is you know these perfectly crafted uh presentations of someone's life
0: yeah like yeah but like anybody can have an instagram and anybody can spend a lot of time (laughs) making their posts just the way that they want them to be and, and creating this image of their life and who they are. Cause like the the whole idea of the website, uh, Mima's room, you know, she's so naive about the whole thing. She doesn't understand what it is. Um, and then like, she starts checking it out, which is always a bad idea. Like never, <laughs> never read what people write about you online. Um, and it's just so accurate to her life. Mm -hmm. It starts off reasonable enough, but then it starts being way too accurate, you know, and then that's when it's like terrifying because it's like these people, somebody somewhere knows all these things about her to the point where they can pretend to be her and convince Mm -hmm. other people that that's the real her, which is what happens in this, this film. Um, Yeah.
3: She feels like her life is being, stolen and she has no control of her own life
0: no and in a way she doesn't right yeah. now like she's kind of at the mercy of her agency and determining what her career is going to be and all she yeah. can kind of yeah. do is perform the best of her ability but she doesn't really get to make these big decisions you know
3: you, yeah you can i feel like you can see the film as like either two, like two ways kind of you can see it as The whole thing is just a transition period. Uh, Or you can see it as someone struggling to hold on to pieces of themselves.
0: Yeah. And
3: not be consumed by everyone else, basically. Because essentially, that's what she is. You know, she's a product. She is. uh, People treat her that way. There's no... And I guess the stalker is the most extreme end of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hence the shot. Have, are, we, are we talking spoilers yet? Feel free. What okay. Yeah. Cool.
0: But yeah, like I mean, that's literally like that shot I was talking about where he holds her in this his hand, where she's a product. Mm-hmm. She's something to be sold to yeah. people, something to be consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not a person. Her, her agent yeah. sell her, her, the 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 film the the TV show people treat her like as a product to further their show. She and it starts to really really get to her, um, in the worst way possible, to the point where she starts almost she starts hallucinating this kind of ghost of this ideal version of herself that she's left behind, mm-hmm. this idea of herself that she's trying mm-hmm. to move away from but can't. And this this one idea infects multiple characters of this film. And, it, and it's sort of this like disease that causes all the madness and causes all the chaos for everybody involved. It's the idea of this one person um who isn't real to anybody, really, uh to even the person that she's supposed to be based on is not actually real. Um and like one thing about this movie that can be kind of confusing is the fact that there, there is this shared delusion. Mm. Um, Cause you know, there's a mystery going on. Like who is killing these people? Like what's actually real, what's not. And the film, I don't think is meant to be taken very literally where you can parse out. Okay. Mm. Like this person was here and this person was there and they did this. And this is exactly how this murder went down. I think it's, it's more abstract than that.
3: Oh no, yeah, it's not interested in that stuff. I think in the in the interviews I was reading with Con about it, there's a scene where later on, um uh uh, uh was she called Mima? Yeah. Is is like in the car with like her assistant and someone else and he said like it got to this point where he realized, Oh, who's driving the car? <laughs> and he sort of went, Oh, it's a it's, it's a shallow version of someone else, I guess. Like, he's not, he's much, you know, um, he's interested in the effect. Yeah. That he's creating rather than, you know, uh, logic. And, and, and because he's such an analytical filmmaker, he, he's fully aware of the contradictions. He's, you know, you're not gonna cinema sins trip him up with this. It's,
0: it's. No, it's like purposeful. Like, it, it,
3: yeah. It he plays with thinking. your
0: expectations of what you think these kind of plots are supposed to be. And he almost, he plays jokes on you throughout the film with that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The crazy thing about this film is that like, when it came out, uh, you know, when it, when it uh, traveled out of Japan, it was, people thought that it was referencing uh, Jello films like uh, Dario Argento,
1: mm-hmm.
3: like films like Suspiria, or, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or persona. Um, and actual fact, um, he had never heard of Dario Gento before <laughs> these films. <laughs> uh, and, uh, everything about the, you know, the kind of, uh, paranoia effects was, was pretty much created by Con based on what he had previously thought like thrillers to be and, and how he would go about representing, uh, you know, like a, a kind of, a, uh, a, uh, like a psychological crack, I guess, a psychological yeah. crack up to use old fashioned language, uh, like visually it's, um, it's a really stylish film. And I, I like that. It's kind of, there's a weird kind of guilty thrill to get out of, um, like the the intense lighting in lots of scenes and things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's very stylized. I mean, part of that is like the editing is so unique, and it, it like kind of creates this sort of unique presentation, like the lighting and and such. Um,
3: yeah, I feel like you can't really talk about Con. I I can't really until like it gets onto his editing because. I think live action or animation he's one of the best editors <laughs> uh, that there has been and he's also a really influential uh, uh, uh figure in in cinema basically uh i think w- with his editing as well like you wouldn't have well lots of um oh Jesus what's the name of the guy who ripped him off. Darren
0: Aronofsky.
3: Aronofsky. <laughs> Darren Aronofsky. Like you wouldn't he, he wouldn't, wouldn't edit his wouldn't. films the way he does. No, well, he would be sort of a completely
0: Con. different filmmaker if he never saw any Satoshi Kon.
3: And he, you know, you can't talk about him without his uh yeah, his editing style which um in the press tour of uh, uh Perfect Blue someone asked him whether it was influenced by uh, Slaughterhouse 5. Mm. the uh, Vonnegut book and there's also a movie uh, which really really is a good, is, it's a decent movie it was made in the 70s um, which plays with editing and space and time and you know obviously if you know the, the story it, it yeah, plays with space kind and of time necessary. yeah um, yeah and he's, he has a lot of fun with this sort of like matching like you were saying earlier, Nina, with the whole uh the, the car what did you say it was like a car boot like closing? I yeah, would like call it boot. a car boot. Yeah. Um closing sort of like juxtaposed with with some you know, some brutal imagery beforehand and previously he's he's creating yeah, he's he's you can tell that he's most interested in the effect of the of the film rather than depicting one scene in its entirety
0: and like there are some shots that like i just don't know how you would make in live action where like she's in i guess like the set of the Mm -hmm. of the show but we don't know it's a set yet and then she like turns around and it morphs like into her bedroom like the background will like change you know completely
3: you could do that, and you could do that in live action, but it wouldn't yeah. have the same effect. It would feel like an effect.
0: Yeah, and like I know you you could. I mean, I, I don't mean to take away. Oh,
3: the crap yeah, definitely
0: of live yeah. action cinematography. But there's just certain shots in here, and th- that are just so quick, <laughs> and they feel so seamless. And I one thing that was super fun about getting to watch this in theaters is, is watching it with a group of people because the the audience was packed. And oh wow listening to people kind of make sounds like in response to certain Mm -hmm. scenes was really fun. Like there's one fake out moment in the movie that is like, so like, so mischievous where the, the plot of the TV show that Mima is uh, playing a character in completely like, um, it just, you think that's the plot of the movie Mm-hmm. Like you're watching a scene from the TV show, but certain names are exchanged. So you think it's talking about Mima where it's like, oh, she thinks she's an actress. She's hallucinating the whole time. She, is, she has multiple personality disorders. <laughs> and then it cuts and you see the editor or the, the director looking at the screen and then it replays and it changes the names. Like everybody in the audience mm-hmm. is like, ah, like,
3: you mm-hmm. know,
0: it just keeps playing with you. And that makes it like such a fun ride. Like even though horrible things are happening, um, it's just this amazing ride because you really are mm-hmm. just thrown for a loop like every couple minutes. And Kona is so smart about tricking you because you keep expecting like a clean explanation for what's going on. And every time you get offered one, it's taken away almost instantly. Um, even to the very last scene of the movie, <laughs> uh, which still plays with it, but um, I sorry, I don't want to like monopolize the the talking.
3: Uh, no, it's it's. I mean, it's it's really cool to hear like actually, you know, hear about your experience like watching the movie with a crowd because I don't think I've ever had that pleasure of watching a Sashi Con film in a crowd. No. And I think that you know, pound for pound, he's he can make anything entertaining mm-hmm. and but i've always you know seen his movies with you know just at home and you know if i if i'm watching them with friends it's you know maybe two or three it's not the same effects of watching uh watching it in a packed cinema
0: yeah i mean i i hadn't had that experience either and it was really fun especially with this movie because it is so there's so many twists and turns. Like everybody in the audience was just like, what? What is happening? Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. it was really, and everybody was stimulated from beginning to end um, because it is such a stimulating film. And I do feel like the, it's brevity really helps with that. Cause I feel like if the film was any longer, you you might get a little tired of the gimmick almost. It might feel a bit more gimmicky.
3: Yeah, I think if it was any longer it probably would start to fall apart. Yeah. In that sense.
2: Yeah, I don't think like horror thriller type things should be longer than ninety minutes really, generally. (laughs) I think it's about the right length. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, otherwise they start to feel frankly, like kind of indulgent. Mm. Like the the sort of expressive scenes, you know, we a bit thin. I do feel like watching um, Dario Argento films, actually, like, there comes a point where you just go, okay, I get... She's paranoid, I get it.
0: Like, you <laughs> <know>? <laughs> Yeah. Well, like with this movie, it's like, oh, she's paranoid, but what, like, what fun thing can we do uh, with this paranoid feeling? Like, yeah, he's pushing it. it.
3: The thing that yeah, the thing that makes it not a like a a pulpy jello film is that Mima's you can tell he likes her, like Kong likes her, and that he doesn't delight in torturing her and she's not being tortured for no reason. And you could probably even go so far as to say you know, with these types of narratives it feels like um you know, it's it's a kind of judgment on her but I feel like the film actually doesn't judge her in, you know, uh, for for instance, taking that job on that sleazy show and doing that, particularly, you know, doing the rape scene, you know, another, you know, lesser film would probably follow that up immediately with a judgment scene where she is punished for that, you know, behavior. But it, the film uh, kind of feels like it's more of like got a parental feeling over her where it's like, look, I'm not going to tell you off. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to say you're doing the wrong thing. You're just going through a
0: transition stage. And I'm not gonna... yeah, it's very sympathetic to her plight.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: and I think mm. that's one of the strong things about it because it's it's a very, I mean, gender- is a very important aspect of this film. And I think it's very interesting that this movie was made by a man, you know, like a a straight man um, talking Uh. about women in the public eye and what it means to be a woman specifically in the public eye, because a lot of what Mima goes through is very gendered. A lot of her ideation and and objectification is very gendered. you know, so much of her identity is, is informed by outside forces telling her what she's supposed to be as a woman. Um, and a lot of the torture she goes through is particularly attuned to what women are scared of. Um, like as, as a woman watching this movie, I was like, wow, this is like everything I've ever been scared of in my entire life happening to this one character nonstop. You know, this idea of this, this, stalker person who's going to attack you this idea of like not being able to trust the other women in your life who are trying to sabotage you Mm -hmm. this like idea of not having control of your own identity because you're this sexualized object and being taken advantage at every turn having to um humiliate yourself almost just to further your ends you know like you're you're if, he, if she was a male actor, she wouldn't have been having to do a lot of these things. She wouldn't have had to do a rape scene. She wouldn't have had to do this scandalous photo shoot. She wouldn't have had the same issue. wouldn't have manifested. No,
3: she wouldn't like have been pushed around.
0: Yeah. She I, still would have had trouble, but it wouldn't have been like this at all.
3: Yeah. Actually, I, there was an interview where someone quizzed him whether it would work with a male protagonist. Um and he said that like with a male character he could only see the bad aspects and because he's a man he knows very well what a male character is thinking um mm. and he says even if he's playing to be cool he can see that it's like there's a bad side to him um and yeah he was but he seems i, I think that's like neither here nor there really it seems like he uh he approaches her as yeah as a character and takes her seriously and doesn't see her as yeah or you know in the way that her producers do at least
0: no of course like he thinks she's really great and like we have time to sort of see what she's actually like in her her real life you know and she mm-hmm. perseveres in really amazing ways like even though she's terrified she takes action and she does a lot of little things that really add up like When she's attacked, she defends herself and she like in the very end when she saves her attacker, like not everybody would do that, Mm -hmm. but she's a special kind of person. You know? And we see that she's special in this way. Like the fact that she's able to put up with all of this and still kind of maintain some sense of morality. That is if she... You know, mm-hmm. is innocent in the end, which, you know, that's kept kind of vague. But I think I, she is. Like, I don't. I like
3: she's... those sorts of stories, though, because I feel like the purpose of a story is essentially a simulation. And you should go right up to the edge of something without it. Particularly in suspense. Like, it's that, um, there's a Hitchcock lesson where he says, you know, um, uh, if you have, uh, if you're gonna have a scene where a bomb explodes, you could just have a bomb explode while people are talking around a dinner table. He said, (laughs) or you could film the scene, show the bomb under the table, pan up, and then suddenly every boring conversation people are having suddenly becomes very exciting because they don't know there's a bomb under the table and we know that the bomb's ticking. Mm -hmm. And then he says at the last minute someone should notice the bomb, go, I think we should get rid of this. They chuck (laughs) it out the window, it explodes out the window, no one is harmed. You still... Played with suspense, and you've still simulated the situation without actually, you know, causing violence. Right. Mm. And that seems like something that, uh, yeah, Con is interested in.
0: Well, you know he-
3: what? What's what's the absolute? Just bringing things to the brink of real disaster and violence.
0: But then it pushes past that.
3: Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like in this movie, that's not the case. Yeah.
0: No, like it, it it sets up all of these threats and lets your imagination play with them, and then it just goes there, which kind of almost makes it more scary because you had it's a feeling horrific. it would get bad, but then when it gets bad, you're not ready for it, even though mm-hmm. you had a feeling mm-hmm. it would not get that way. But yeah, it, it's. It's it's a scary movie. (laughs) It's scary in a very different way. Like, there's no, like, well, I mean, there is kind of, like, a boogeyman. The stalker character is, is unfortunately, very scary looking. um, And Mm -hmm. acts very scary looking. But, like, it's not, like, a traditional horror movie or, like, a, you know, it's... But it it, it just plays to all these fears and this paranoia um, so well.
3: But yeah, is the music done by his usual composer as well
0: uh, um, I can't no. remember the
3: name of the dude
0: he I, know who, t- is I know who you're talking about I think he only did the music for um everything- Actress and Paprika
3: oh really Okay, I think he did the music for Tokyo Godfathers as well
0: he might have done for Tokyo Godfathers too I can double mm-hmm. check uh, but this composer was somebody by the name of Masahiro Ikumi okay um and the music is also amazing the sound design is it's so bizarre it takes such mm. m- mundane situations and makes them even more like tense with its approach to music um Because it's like this weird chanting and kind of noise music almost.
2: Mm. Yeah, It's unsettling which is appropriate considering the content of the film
3: itself. It's an unsettling movie.
2: Um, But one interesting thing is the ending in that a lot of films like this would have a, a really dark ending and this has it seems to have an apparently happy ending where she you know, you know she survives we think and uh, and then she's like yes I'm okay at the end pretty much and she talks <laughs> to the cat. it's a really weird ending actually like, like just of her turn to the camera and go yes I'm the real one <laughs>
0: uh, it's weird because like I, I, I always kind of misunderstood the ending because like I, I felt the same way and then when I was reading a little bit about the movie, mm. I read that apparently in the initial dub of the film, they had made a I guess a pretty big error, where the last line of the movie is actually spoken by Rumi's voice actress. Oh, um, but I guess they didn't catch that and they had it delivered by Mima's voice actress
2: what Uh, that that is even when i difference yes.
0: because even when i watched the movie in theaters i didn't notice it was the the other voice actress but everything i read and said that that's what happened and i was like really (laughs) because that completely changes the whole thing um entirely Uh, (laughs) i'm all confused again now Exactly. Like I thought it was like, oh, she's just like verifying that like, oh, she made it, you know, she knows who she is and she came out of this stronger. Mm. But then I guess it was one last little twist. Mm. Uh, I don't know.
3: <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> I never knew that before. No. Yeah. I I don't think I would have noticed it either.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's hard because, you know, Junko Iwao who plays Mima is such an amazing voice actress. And like, I just thought she was, it was just her <laughs> doing a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize it was the voice actress for Rumi, but I don't know. Every, cause I didn't know that. And then I started reading about the movie and I heard some fans talk about how like, oh, the dove made this mistake. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I don't know. But, it's a
3: happy accident though, as things go.
0: Yeah. Like it kind of <laughs> happened, made the movie happy. <laughs>
3: Um. yeah it's a weirdly yeah uncertain ending uncertain as to whether it's actually positive or not like it's very I mean I guess it's very much like the ending of something like Inception where it's it's you could easily see it as the saddest or the most hopeful thing and the film is couldn't really care less
0: yeah, like, there's a lot of ways to interpret it. It could be just, like, yes, yeah. oh, you know, maybe Rumi, or not Rumi, maybe uh, Mima, who isn't a successful actress now, is pretending to be Rumi, pretending to be her, almost as, mm-hmm. like, a joke to herself, you know? Or it could be, I don't know, something crazy.
3: <laughs> because the film is so much concerned with, like, it, 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 uh, it, it, um, Jesus, uh, Like kind of depicting her psychological state externally. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
3: That, you know, once it's done, once it's spent spent like 80 minutes doing that, for you to then believe it when it's not winking and go, hang on, are you telling the truth? Are you, it's like, it's cried wolf enough Mm -hmm. that you're not entirely sure where to sit with it. Which is a good place for a thriller to end.
0: Yeah, I think so. Basically, because like, how else would you end it? Either you have it end very tragically, or you have it end like, oh, ever nothing, not there's no consequences where it's like, oh, clearly, even if Mima did manage to become an, a successful actress, there's still some consequences to everything that happened.
3: Yeah, and and very much like the opening statement of the film, it's it can't turn into an entirely different film uh, the way he's made it. That is, it's going to end being a movie about masks and, you know, personas that are reflected onto the world. And, you know, you can't see through every mask.
0: No, you know, and I mean, I like to think it's just that she she's being funny with herself because she's an actress. But I mean, the whole fact that she is an actress like makes it more complicated because she
1: mm-hmm.
0: starts melding with her role. Um, because so much of what's happening in her real life is reflective of what's happening in her her TV show that she's on, and she can't tell the difference. Um, and maybe she makes peace with that. You know, maybe that's like possibly. Fighting yeah, that, she's just there's like, oh, well, that's okay.
3: There's the. Yeah, there's that, uh, kind of horrible suggestion as to whether the method acting is like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like whether the torture of the artist is actually going to beget good art.
0: Yeah. Whether
3: it's going to improve her as an actress, whether it's her, I guess in, in, in the rape scene, that's kind of, uh, why that scene is so powerful because it plays with the idea of it doesn't play with it it very like it confronts the idea of whether she's acting or not
0: right in that moment because even if nothing is maybe actually happening Mm -hmm. it's still a traumatic experience and it's it's not a consensual one because she made it very clear that she didn't want to do this scene but she felt like she had no choice and the
3: yeah, and the, the horrible point is, is that no one actually in the room that is in the on set cares whether she's actually distressed or not.
0: Right. Except for I guess that one actor who asked if she that apologized, but like, you know.
3: Oh well. See, in the uh, yeah, in the uh, interviews I was reading, uh, mm-hmm. Con mentioned that guy, and he said that he felt like he was still kind of complicit.
0: No, totally. Thing. He was yeah. like, yeah, he apologizes, I'm... but he's still like, you know, this is a job.
3: Sorry. Not sorry.
0: Yeah. Like I'm sorry, but like he yeah. he he apologizes, but he doesn't ask her if she's okay. He just says, I'm sorry about this. Um, but he doesn't mm. say, Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> do you need to take a break? You know, I know, at no point does anybody ask her how she's okay. They just expect her to do this because that's what an actress does. You know, there's that, you know, fun funny throwaway line about Jodie Foster, um, you know, and this idea that like, oh, you know, that's just what actresses are, spo- that's what being a professional is. You know, you just, you just. Yeah. Yeah. And you the, don't.
3: There's, there is a weird, yeah, there's a, not, not a weird argument, but there's a, that is a part of growing up is doing things that you don't want to do. So you can do something that you do want to see later. And Yeah. That's a, I don't think there's an easy answer there, particularly in relation to what, into in relation to Mima's like, career path.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, it, it's it 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 has this impact because it's not just because of what it's depicting, but it to her means a lot because this is essentially her saying like she can't go back to her previous.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a death life. scene.
0: It's a death scene more than a rape scene in a way yeah where she is having to say goodbye or like having to get this almost ripped away from her um and having to smile through it like it's okay
3: yeah 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 it's yeah it's it's it is it's weird like yeah seeing his other films and this next to it I think it's his, is it his only movie which is like rated 15? Is that right, Chris? I'm sure it's 18. Oh, it is 18. Is it? Yeah, yeah. okay. So, yeah, there and you I go.
2: Was, I was thinking, what I didn't quite remember quite how 18 it was when I was rewatching it. I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't, like, that particular scene, I didn't remember it going on for so long and everything. I don't know. Um, yeah, in
3: actual fact, he had troubles with the, the Japanese censors about it. Wow. Yeah, it's um,
0: very rated R.
3: It almost got like the equivalent of an NC-17, which would have similarly been like a a kind of uh, what's the word like a death metal for the film. Yeah, in right. Japan.
0: But that um, would have been so interesting, you know, because it's not, it's not, it's they're acting twice, you know, you. In a meta sense, you have actors pretending to be actors pretending to be doing this scene. Mm. Uh, that's not actually even happening. Like, And there's not even any nudity in that scene. Whereas there's nudity in other scenes, like the photography scene is a lot of nudity. Um, mm-hmm. That scene also is kind of difficult to watch because you're just seeing this guy like literally strip her down to being something that is more wasn't for him and like the part where she like goes to the bathroom to take a break and like her agent is like knocking on the door and it's like you said you could do this like you're holding everybody up like you're not being professional it was just so shitty you know like not being able to say no
3: yeah actually I (laughs) guess guess this movie must have this movie must have been an influence on the neon demon as well on who? Uh, the neon demon my oh favorite. yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't, God, who the hell made that movie? Uh, um, is the the... only God
0: forgives guy, right? Yeah.
3: Oh, uh, Nicholas Wending Refn. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like a, it's a very similar story about a young girl who is swallowed up by an industry.
0: Well, spoilers. She's she's swallowed up in another uh-huh. way. Um, But, yeah, like, I guess, like, I guess there's, there's a lot of films about this sort of, like, woman gone mad because... There's a lot of works, frankly, books and things about woman gone mad because of her social circumstances and, like, social obligation. But I think the thing that makes this version a little different is how Cone also builds in this commentary about film.
3: Yeah. Which wasn't in the original source like material at all. That was entirely his creation. The whole idea of a film within a film. He felt oh, like it being his first foray into filmmaking. He ought to do something with the medium that only the medium could do.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's I totally believe that because that's very much a stamp of his style. Um, oh
3: yeah, I mean like his next movie was Millennium Actress which he, he said about films and memories which he said is like he feels like this movie and Millennium, Millennium Actress are like two sides of the same coin uh, where uh, Millennium Actress kind of shows a slightly I mean maybe slightly nicer certainly less destructive side of fandom
0: certainly
2: 12 rated
0: yeah
3: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> Paprika deals with it too you know, there's like, there's the whole section of the movie where
3: oh yeah that the too. one
0: character just talks about film theory.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, they discuss the 180 degree rule, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I think that, that added touch of the commentary about how mm-hmm. film creates these images and is, is complicit in <laughs> and creating these expectations is what makes this film a little bit different. Other, se- uh, other similar narratives.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have much more to say about this movie other than the animation is just technically mind-blowing stuff. Oh
0: my god, it's
2: so good. Yeah, the animation is very impressive. The design and everything is... It, all his films look similar as similar the character designs everything, and it does look... Have you... Have you... Either have you oh seen the art of satoshi Com book from dark horse
0: yes i own think it it's so. sitting on my bookshelf right now it's beautiful
2: wow. isn't it
0: oh it's gorgeous it's all promotional art that he had mm. made but mm. it's like early digital art so there's like commentary in the back where he's talking about like downloading textures <laughs> from online and using them to like fill in the moon and stuff
2: it's really neat i think it's got an intro from darren aronofsky
0: it does it does have one from him,
3: oh yeah, I was reading, yeah, in this interview I was reading earlier he mentioned that uh Darren Aronofsky yeah, uh, met with him uh after the film was uh yeah was made, and uh, uh he actually asked to to use a couple of the shots
1: mm-hmm uh
3: you, so um, the scene where Mima like dips her head under the water in a bath and shouts and everything, um, those two shots were used directly and Requiem for a dream. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, he mentioned that. Um, so the interviewer said, "Like, oh yeah, the director sort of really followed in your footsteps." And he's like, "Well, it's more like he stole from me."
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it's a great scene, but like, is it necessary to? Would Requiem of a Dream be different if he didn't steal the exact scene? Like,
3: I don't, I really don't know. It's, uh,
0: I mean, it's a good image, but like, he probably could have come up with something,
3: you know. I, I feel like Satoshi Kon is like the the one of the most quietly influential directors of the 21st century in that he has impacted like you know you wouldn't have uh, uh inception without him
0: yeah inception
3: would there. not look the same way no. without satoshi khan um uh, yeah and everyone cribs from him without him really getting paid his due i feel
0: and it's amazing that you know he was only able to make you know these four feature-length films <laughs> And they're each so influential mm. and in a way quite different. I mean, they're similar for sure. Like, you know, yeah. he does have that similar art, art style where he actually makes, you know, Japanese people look Japanese, um, which is like, he even sort of makes a joke about it in this movie where the, the nerd characters are walking into like the manga shop and there's like that really ridiculous illustration of a manga girl. And then it like the, the door slides and it's these really normal looking people walking through. Um, but yeah,
3: yeah, I, I guess that's his, I mean, just stylistically, that's being influenced by someone like Atomo, and working with Otomo directly is having like a very realistic, uh, yeah, style.
0: Yeah, like he, he has people look like people for the most part. People are kind of rough around the edges, especially in this movie. Like, unless you're a pop idol or an actress, like most of the characters aren't particularly attractive looking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some are much more less attractive than others, but like everybody kind of looks kind of janky almost, you know, like they're kind of, you know, they're rough. They're not like these stylized looking people. They're not meant to be attractive. The only attractive people are the people who would normally be attractive because they're in a field where you have to be um and it just adds like this different layer to the presentation of his work that again like some people might say oh why why wouldn't it just be live action then if you're going to make the people look like people and it's like it's not really about what the people look like <laughs> it's mm. about what the medium adds to the message
3: yeah it's it, it's also like about like as a filmmaker having the control over every single aspect, yeah um, and everything as a result, like being purposeful, there is nothing that he got you know in this movie that he you know that he got just by keeping the the cameras rolling and mm. seeing what happened it was it was all planned,
1: mm-hmm.
3: which seems like an obvious thing to say like when you're talking about an animated film, but his films seem so close sometimes to live action films that it's easy to forget that stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: For
0: sure.
2: Oh, that's that's why um, it's more effective, you Like you said, you said the animate like doing something in animation can be more affecting with, and it's because everything right. everything is being put there deliberately. Yeah. There's no mistakes. what well, the the you, People say there's no mistakes in animation. Obviously there are mistakes, but right. not, there aren't any accidental things in frame or whatever. And it's like a yeah.
0: complete yeah. illusion. Mm-hmm. Unlike live action where it's it's this complete illusion. You know, there's no sense of, you can't point to be and be like, well, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. That's a real person. Yeah. Or like, that's a real place. Like that's a building that actually exists. Like you can't do that because even if they're, drawing a picture of a real person or a drawing a picture of a real building. It's still a a fabrication more so than it. Well, I mean, every, all film is a fabrication, but in in animation, it's more overt.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, I, uh, it feels like a a shame to like bring up his name now, but, um, one of the things that John Lasseter said, uh, once about animation, which I thought was interesting was, uh, that, um, when you're watching a movie, when it starts, it has to get you to believe what's happening quickly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It happens within like, you know, the first 30 seconds, whether you buy it or not, basically. But he, he was saying that with animation, that willing suspension of disbelief happens instantly because you mm-hmm. haven't got a choice to believe what's happening in the animation. You can't look at it and go, oh, that looks fake because the whole thing's fake. Right. So, in a weird sort of like folding back in on itself kind of thing you believe everything in animation. That's
0: mm-hmm. true. And yeah. it makes things like the Mima ghost work.
3: Back. Yeah, it's not a hokey effect. It's an eerie effect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: that- yeah. I, just, I just love that shot where she's being chased by the Mima ghost but then mm-hmm. you see the reflection of it, and it's just Rumi looking very disheveled mm. while she's running after her.
3: Yeah, yeah, Rumi's kind of creepy looking. I mean, it's. Yeah, that's kind of unsettling in itself.
0: I mean, that was. I mean, it's very scary. I mean, just having someone chase you trying to kill you is very scary. Regardless that's sc- yeah,
3: that's scary enough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, like, just that idea that, like, you see the reflection of what she really is, mm. uh, but you're watching the illusion that they both believe at the same time.
2: Yeah. Right. There's just
0: so many really <laughs> nice little moments.
2: It's creepy as hell and brilliant. sure yes. cool. Makes you... But you always have this little pang when you watch a Satoshi Kon film these days so you, just, you, know, you feel bummed out again.
3: <laughs> I get, yeah, I get very emotional like thinking about him at all. Because mm-hmm. his films are so, uh, it seems like, it sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but like they are very, they're, they're very full of life
1: mm-hmm.
3: and mm-hmm. like vitality and, uh, which I think means exactly the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But, um, uh, yeah, they are, they, they, they seem like they're life things
1: mm-hmm.
3: and it seems kind of wrong that the hand that <laughs> Cause them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's not death, fair. But...
0: Like, can you imagine how many more movies we would have gotten by now? Yeah, he was
2: only yeah forties. We could have had another forty years of
3: yeah. Oh, I mean so that, that being that being said, I got like pound for pound, his films, um, particularly like through frame by frame study and just like looking at the editing very closely, are some of the best film school that you could hope for. I, I, it's, it's probably not much of an exaggeration to say that, uh, along with Hitchcock, uh, Satoshi Khan taught me, like, the bare bones of storyboarding, uh, just through studying his, his films. Like, they are, yeah, they're remarkable, like, pieces of work, uh, aside from that. And, yeah, it would be nice to have more, but what we do have is, yeah, are, are remarkable still. Yeah, okay. and I never get bored of watching as well.
0: No, that's why I'm taking my time watching them. I still haven't seen all of them because there's only the those. That's all we have. So I'm like, yeah. well, I have the rest of my life to watch them <laughs> and really like savor each one. Yeah.
2: Um. Does anyone want to make any final points on Perfect Blue? Or are we
3: ready? It's creepy, and I want to see another uh, animated horror film yeah sometime soon, I feel yeah, like there's a lot awesome. more that can be done, like particularly with how CG is are like, getting more stylized nowadays like can you imagine if like there was a horror movie that was as stylized as I don't know like the upcoming spider man spider man movie yeah mm-hmm. you know, how did you know it's gonna say that <laughs> Cause yeah that, yeah yeah no but absolutely, like with all the lighting effects mm-hmm. and everything i mean, but that being said, I think. Perfect Blue was just ahead of its time.
0: So, it really was. So ahead
2: of its time, yeah. <laughs> um, and hopefully, there will be a a home release coming up in the U- U.S. soon with a storyboard.
0: Gosh, I yeah. hope so. hopefully, I
3: think I think there's a limited edition that does have a storyboard. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: and the UK will soon be getting a Blu-ray of uh, Tokyo Godfathers as well from Manga UK and a Another re-release of Papika, I think, as well. I think that might be like a, a, a double pack, you know, like a combi pack Blu-ray DVD coming out. And I think you can still, I think you can still get Tokyo Godfathers in the US. Is it? They might even still be streaming on Crackle if you want to see it for free. I think in the US, it was at one point. Where um, was it streaming? Crackle.
0: Crackle.
3: It, it, that might be ages ago though. <laughs> Okay. Um, I know. You, I know you can watch Paprika and Chicago Godfathers on Amazon Video. In the Sony UK. Crackle?
0: Maybe I've never. I wasn't familiar with Sony Crackle.
2: Yeah. Um, and you can still. I know you can still get his TV series, um, at Paranoia Agent, in the UK. I think it might be out of print in the US as well. Unfortunately, um, and it's not streaming anywhere, which is annoying. In this day and age, <laughs> so, and you can get that book, the art of Art of Satoshi Kon, and it's very good, and you should get it. And his man a lot of his mangas are in English as well. Yeah,
3: <laughs> actually, yeah, his last one, Opus, was like just uh, yeah, just translated. I think last year.
2: Yeah, I think um, they, they they might be adapting that as a film or a series. I
3: heard something about that. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, that will be that will be interesting. Yeah, his manga, his manga are very interesting. They're uh, they're weird and they're not they're not like his movies, all of them. Mm -hmm. So
2: yeah, go out and find Satoshi Kon stuff and watch it because it's great, or watch it and read it, and yeah, enjoy it and pine for what could have been. Okay, so that covers Perfect Blue. And it's time to pay a little visit to the water cooler, but I think it's just me today because I don't think yeah, but guys haven't got into have you. <laughs> I've
3: been no, I've been watching Apple and Onion. I can do. T- t- he wants to talk about Apple and Onion for an hour. It's like so <laughs> good. <laughs> I love that show so much. It's so good. Richard I. Weddy like just kills it. Oh like, yeah, it with a voice with voice acting. Like there was an episode I watched the other day, and it ends, and he just goes. Well, I think I think it's fair to say I I learned an important message, and then someone says, "You mean lesson?" and he goes, "Lesson." (laughs) The episode, the episode just ends. (laughs) Uh, Uh, It's good. Yeah, everyone should watch that show. It's delightful.
2: It sounds great, Nina. You haven't got anything new?
0: No, I don't believe so. This past week was kind of busy at work, so I haven't seen anything. No.
3: okay
2: well i i finally finished up season four of bojack horseman which is still great um,
3: Ooh, is that the one that was just released
2: no i've finished season four which was last year's one and yeah, I, okay. I still haven't
0: season four
2: for some reason i've taken ages to get through it and there have been some amazing episodes in that season like the, there's one about gun control which is amazing and depressingly ever relevant um mm. And yeah, so I will get on to season five. But on the same day, they also released season one of The Dragon Prince, which is the new new, uh, fantasy series, which is from a new company called Wonderstorm and has several of the alumni of the um, Avatar and Korra series that I have not seen, I must confess still, Um, and also... It's is it Jean, Giancarlo Volpe, I think is that how we say it? The uh yeah, he's a um he's a producer he did the uh Green Lantern series that Jill goes on about and mm-hmm. um some other I've, I think he was on what was it else he was on? He was on uh uh like vs Star vs the forces of evil season two i think anyway um so it's this fantasy series set in a world where there are there are humans and there are also elves and dragons and they seem to be in a constant war um but the thing about it is the style they've made it in the animation style uh you if you looked at like stuff like uh screenshots and everything from it you'd probably think it's going to be 2d but it is cg uh, sort of cell shady look, two D, three D, like um combined to try and create a two D look with three D animation, um kind of like Ruby or something like that. Hmm. Um and yeah, the animation style I find it hard <laughs> to watch because the animation style is really um it's kind of it's not smooth. <laughs>
3: Oh. and it, yeah. but that's intentional kind of isn't
2: it i think it is kind of intentional to try and give it the look of 2d animation but because that because there
3: are japanese uh productions which try, yeah
2: po- polygon studios mostly polygon productions and they try and they think oh it looks more like it's 2d animation and it's like yeah but it doesn't work with 3d animation <laughs> if mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. it works with 2d animation either do it 2d or do it 3d and do it smoother but don't hmm. don't try and combine the two because it doesn't work. I don't
0: like it. It's, it's I mean, really great I feel, for like me. The, I feel like the new guilty gear games make that kind of work. But...
2: It it seems to work in games. I don't. I but and also Spider Verse is kind of that as well, and it works.
3: I don't know what Spider Verse is. It doesn't. It looks, I don't know how they made that. I looks, don't know how that didn't take twenty years. It looks amazing. Yeah. It, yeah, but this. I, I, I think this is always the thing, like, for me, I remember, like, in, uh, like, college, mm. um, someone tried to get me to read Why the Last Man. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you gotta read it. It's one of the best comics ever. And I was <laughs> like, okay, I believe you, but I don't like the look of the artwork. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, well, no, well don't, don't, don't worry about the artwork so much. It's the story and it's the comic. And I'm like, but, but it's that's a part of the thing. Yeah, exactly. And, for, and I, I do think there's this this weird... Uh, yeah, and it's interesting that you're talking about it because it's something that I I tend to find myself apologizing for more than I'd like. Mm. But it's that thing of like, yeah, look, I don't care how well this is written, I still am watching it. And the visual is part of the experience. And if that's quite right then that's as bad as the writing not being quite right Hmm. Mm.
0: yeah i know what you mean
2: uh so did
3: you did you watch the whole show no i've
2: watched two episodes so far and so far i don't really think the writing is that great either
3: sorry uh, sorry, nina i just spoke over you You she was okay
0: i just was saying like there's only very few exceptions i find to that personally
3: yeah i find the exception is like literally only if it's absolutely hilarious like south park
0: or like home movies
3: i haven't seen that is that just like shoddily drawn stuff
0: oh it's very shoddily drawn um it's very funny um yeah it's it's good stuff
2: (laughs) yeah it's the the writing isn't that impressive to me either um is it but, is it kind of
3: aimed aimed at the same age group as uh, Avatar?
2: Yeah, the last so. Avatar?
3: Yeah, right. Um, so like, sort of eight to twelve.
2: Yeah, it's it's sort of kiddish, and mm-hmm. um, but but then there's also like pop culture references. Kind, but they they're not. It's not like Shrek or whatever. But they're they'll just do a a sly little thing. There's oh, winter is coming. Eventually is a line in the first episode. <laughs> Which is a bit. Who's that like, joke for? Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So they're obviously you know going for adult audience as well, and I've heard there's going to be some that you know there's there's going to be like representation and stuff. I think they, I think they you know like in their panel or whatever they said. Oh yeah, there's going to be LGBT LGBT representation. Yeah, representation or some, mm-hmm. something coming up and things like that. And uh, there's there's um, it seems like. Like, the cast and everything is quite quite diverse as well. This, you know, which you don't always get in the fantasy world.
3: So The thing that you're talking about, like, about, like, a LGBT representation, I feel like there is coming a point now where you've got to deliver on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no good saying, oh, we're going to have LGBT representation if you just have an episode where, like, I don't know, like, a female character... Struggles through feelings she's having for another woman. Like it's yeah. that's not the same thing. Like you no. actually have to deliver on that stuff because it's it's, it's. it's. I guess it's kind of being called like the Dumbledore problem. Like yes, yeah. like like yes. you can't just. Oh, gosh, you know you have to deliver on that stuff. But at the same time, I think it's if if anyone's going to do it right, it's Netflix because they have no advertisers.
2: Yeah, and they haven't got which is usually produce- the excuse standards
3: and.
0: Usually, and yet, like with they don't have to deal with the s c c There was this, you know, the kind of the bugaboo with Voltron and and what happened with uh, Shiro and the whole Shiro being gay arc. How it kind of didn't like go anywhere. <laughs> it seemed all very incidental, mm. and they like promoted it like they were doing something really wonderful, and it was yeah, just,
3: a big pat on the back
0: where it was like. Uh, you 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 introduced this character, you showed him in literally two flashback scenes, and then you killed him.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> I I was I haven't been up. I'm not up to, date, up to date with it, but I you know I saw what was going on with that, and it's just like they've so misjudged that they're like, hey hey no wait we're gonna have representation. This this major character is gonna be gay. It's gonna be amazing, and they're like, oh yeah, and he's 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 got a partner, and oh he's dead by the way.
0: Uh you think that's that's going to be well received? Not really. They don't even hold hands or say "I love you" at any point.
3: Yeah, kind it's kind of because the excuse it tends to usually be. I haven't actually seen Dragon Prince. I haven't seen uh, Avatar, Korra, mm. um, or Voltron. Mm. Um, I don't watch anything, but uh, <laughs> it seems like the thing with Korra was that the actual stories were about their relationship whereas the problem with trying to shoehorn that kind of representation into a show like Voltron is that how do you do that without taking over the story where Mm. and there comes the point where you go like well maybe don't include it then because it's not necessary or like in the flashback
0: like actually include them acting like a couple a little bit and don't like Kill him off. Come up with another reason why he can't be a a main player in the story.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's like the problem that like bloody like soap operas had in the 90s. Like, you know, you're not really progressing anything by burying your gaze. It's not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be, it'll be good to see
3: like, it'll be good to see Netflix work that stuff out.
2: Yeah. None of that's come up in the series yet, but we I, I shall see. Cause I'll I'll probably give it a bit longer just because I like the idea of like a high fantasy animation, basically. And yeah. it's it's
3: very episodic as well. Uh like That's the other thing that actually does interest me about this show, the fact that it's it's telling a story that progresses.
2: It's called the series is called Book 1 and this is chapter 1 chapter 2 mm, okay. and um the uh so far like I think the main the main cast haven't met really because there's the two there's the two children who've run away from the from the castle or whatever and I think they're going to end up well they're going to end up teaming up with someone who is introduced as an antagonist uh which is there's dark elves who who mostly have Scottish accents apart from the one who's in charge, he's got an English accent, so that's going to go down great over here. Uh, yeah, I was
0: going to say that sounds like a mess. Yeah,
2: they're they're but bad. how else do you know that he's bad? Exactly, yeah, they will. Then the accents aren't that great either. Um, but yeah, okay. um, this, this Scottish accented elf, uh, warrior girl is quite cool, I suppose, so far. So I, I was I shall see how this turns out. I will give it longer because I've only given it two episodes, and I, I want to like it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just I'm so far I'm disappointed. So um, we shall see, and I will report back.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, I just remembered there is something I started watching, but again, it's only two episodes in. So yep. I, I reminded because you said you were disappointed, and I'm also <laughs> disappointed. It's the new uh, fully Cooley. Oh season right three ah. um, i I really don't know how I feel about the whole sequel thing, but I don't think it's very good. <laughs> season two was okay, I guess, but not great and I then need the, to
3: catch up on these yeah the
0: new season started the first episode started very promising, mm-hmm. but this last episode was very meh. To me, like, it just didn't really feel emotional. The animation's very ugly. Like, it, it doesn't look very good. The soundtrack is mixed very quiet underneath. So, like, it can't even be carried with that. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just not super impressed. And I feel bad because I know a lot of people worked really hard to get these things made and, like, wanted this to happen for a long I- time.
3: I feel like you, can, yeah. I feel like you can take. I, I. This is so weird. Like talking about things like that. I feel like in the same breath, you can say everyone worked very hard on this. You're under no obligation to like it.
0: Oh, I know, I know. Like, no, I, mean, I know. Was, like, yeah. It's a shame because, like, I, like, I, I saw like this interview with this woman who's like been working on making this sequel happen for like almost a decade now. Yeah. I'm, like, I don't know if it was worth it. Like, I, I, I these directors. They brought on new talent. I guess the idea was to be like, oh, let's like give a platform to like these new up and coming directors to do some funky stuff, but they're not really doing anything very interesting direction-wise. Like I feel like maybe I don't know if they're burdened by the premise or they're they don't understand what to do with it or
3: yeah, that's a shame. I feel like the most important thing with FLTL for me is the conditions under which it's made. And that is to say, like, it's, the story matters far less than the fact that it feels like an animated album.
0: Like a music,
3: like a music video with a story, basically. Exactly, and And
0: that's just not the case.
3: Yeah, that, I saw like the first episode of season two, and I could feel like they were trying very hard to tell an interesting story with characters, but that for me, wasn't FLCL. FLCL is insanity and cartooniness.
0: Yeah, and like six episodes just isn't a lot of time to tell a character a character story.
3: No, no, and it's not. so
0: that's why it has to be very style based. Yeah, and I feel like these seasons aren't very stylish, <laughs> and I'm not really impressed with the animation experience. Yeah, I
3: want to give it another shot and try it out and just take it on its own terms. Yeah, I feel like now it's been clear enough, okay, this isn't the same thing. And maybe if I went back to like season two, now, I'd be able to take it, yeah, like more as the same thing and maybe enjoy it a bit more and not be constantly comparing it in my mind.
0: I mean, it's hard because yeah. I feel like this new season, I feel like would be better if it didn't have all the foolie Cooly nonsense because this one's more right. like a slice of life about these these girls who are about to graduate high school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it, you have this kind of drama about that, and then all of a sudden, like some you know, Haruko shows up, and there's like a robot, and it just doesn't it doesn't work thematically. Like the metaphor doesn't work here.
3: Yeah. Oh my God. I really um hope that Mary Poppins returns works
2: for that,
3: for that same reason <laughs> yeah. okay. sorry to like <laughs> yeah I hijacked the conversation but like I feel like it's maybe similar where yeah like she only works because Mr. Banks in the movie was the story basically it was about him and yeah in the same way I hope that Mary Poppins too kind of finds a story that's worth telling like a story that needs telling mm. like in the same way that haruko appears to <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> uh, do whatever she does in through the the original
0: yeah like i i i feel like they, they made their best effort because they made the main protagonist of these two seasons girls which is kind of a different perspective yeah. and then...
3: it's a it's a thankless task to make a sequel yeah. to something and to um have it feel different, but also not too different, and familiar, but not too familiar, and to
1: yeah.
3: hit all the familiar, you know, to hit everything that is going to make fans feel like, oh, this is *Fruitcake*, uh, not something else.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like they should have been able to make it as like a spiritual sequel rather than a, an actual sequel or something. Like mm-hmm. this, this is the new, you know. I don't know, maybe, maybe you even keep the same title or whatever, but you say it's, it's just a, a separate continuity or whatever, and they wouldn't have the same ties, but
3: yeah. I can't imagine what a FLCL sequel ought to be. Yeah, I,
0: honestly, I don't know. Like, I don't,
3: I feel I, like also you can't really make it without the trigger guys. You can't mm-hmm. make it without. MIT yeah. being you, involved.
0: You need experimental bold animation.
3: Yeah. To make it work. And this is the thing. It was such an expensive project. You know, they, they commissioned two seasons together. Um, and it was such a hot property. You know, they, they made sure that they sold it around the world first as well. Like
1: mm-hmm.
3: there's going to be less room for experimentation with something where people are. Okay, well, now we've spent a lot of money on this, and we've made lots of lots of decisions about how this should. You know, it's just not how you make art.
0: I mean, they have. The, I think they have the right idea. Like the idea, the original season was like, oh, so being twelve, what does that mean? Season two is like being fourteen. Season three is being seventeen. So it's like, okay, let's explore the different phases of adolescence. Mm. But I don't know if it all comes together, I, I want to finish this third season and see if, you know, it makes more sense in the end or we'll see.
2: Yeah. You can report back on a future water cooler when you finished it. Yep. Okay. I think that wraps us up for today. It's been an awesome discussion of perfect blue and other animation fun. And thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back soon with, more episodes and uh, if you want to follow everything we do you can follow us on animationforadults.com you can follow us on facebook on twitter afa blog on tumblr on pinterest on instagram on youtube on google plus uh you can uh, if you'd like to help us make more stuff in future you can become a patron at patreon.com slash animation for adults or buy us a virtual coffee at ko-fi uh, you can follow me personally at MrChrystal on Twitter. Where can we find you, Dan? You can find me on Twitter at Hanu. And Nina?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Ninny and
2: Ichi. Okay, so we'll be back soon, everybody. Thanks again and goodbye.
1: goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. bye bye Where's my order. Does
0: anyone know how to find my order? How can I find Where my order? Is Where order? Find my- Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom, the customer support platform that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to
1: intercom.com/support to learn more.
0: I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal.